Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Alien vs. Predator Galaxy podcast. This is Aaron Percival, aka Corporal Hicks, and joining me, as always, our usual. I wanted to, I wanted to say partners in crime, but it's got to be squad mates or uh, fellow crash survivors for this one. Adam Zeller, aka Ridgetop. Eric Adams, aka Xenomorphine. And we also found a survivor when we were out on some of our first, you know, recons, hidden away in Dead Hills, raving about some sort of creatures. Lost your 50 supplies. And I lost deployment. Oh, unfortunately, <laughs> <But> you found <laughs> me. <laughs> I got there. It was worth it. It was worth it. There was some. There were some um, sentry guns and uh, some spanners nearby as well. Fortunately, it's a voice we haven't heard on the podcast for three years since the Alien RPG uh, episode. I had a look earlier because I was curious. But he's, oft- he's often on the streams. He's our regular third guy when it comes to the really hard playthroughs of Aliens Fireteam Elite. Is Mister Chevy? Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me back. This is episode 170, and we are finally, I say finally, been a month, I think, near enough a month, but we're talking about this off the air, um, since Aliens Dark Descent came out. So we are going to be doing a review episode on Aliens Dark Descent. It's obvious by the title that you've all seen before you clicked this anyway. Spoilers. Spoiler. Yes, there will be spoilers. Well, yeah, for, there will be story spoilers as well. You'll have to forgive us, it's took so long because I've done three other, four other podcasts since this, plus a Patreon, our first Patreon exclusive that's been recorded and uh, sent off for editing. God forbid I don't do one myself. Actually, this makes two this month I haven't done myself. <gasps> I've only done three. But three we've been, of the five. We've been cranking out the podcast, you know. One just came out today. As um, of recording. Yeah, as of recording. I've always got to add that caveat on there. Carl Toop, alien suit actor, really enjoyed that conversation. That was a good one. Indeed. Makes a change for we're dropping four in July <laughs> compared yeah. to the one one every month that it has been this year because I can't you know I've I've been a sad panda all year and busy and tired and you know it's all right we'll we'll crank out five and in, including the Patreon we'll crank out five in one month we're going for the platinum we're going to get our record this <laughs> to be fair I do think four four is the most I've ever done we've ever done in a month before that Plus it was three. Editing. Yeah, I can't really count it because, like I said, I farmed two of those out. Paid for them, which is what Patreons will help pay for, by the way, when we actually go live with that, which will be nice. Anyway, we're going to be talking finally after our interview as well with Thibaut Bordel, the narrative designer and writer on Dark Descent, which that episode will be out before this one. So if you haven't already, go and listen to that one. That's part one of whatever we end up doing, because as of recording, we haven't quite decided what we're doing for the second part yet, but we'll be having uh, Tebow back on the show in some form or another to um, answer fan questions, basically. So, Chris, as the guest, you can start us off here with your quick and dirty impressions of Alien Stark Descent. Okay, so I'll start off by saying I think this game is perhaps the best alien entry we've had since Isolation. Even through like the books and things like that, I think story-wise I was actually quite impressed. Music I thought was spot on. It mimicked a little bit of Aliens, Alien 3 and Alien without being too on the nose. It was, it was nice, thematic and recognisable. The atmosphere and everything they built, like the areas and things like that, absolutely spot on. Sound I thought was great. I think other than a few main, like minor gripes, like repeating voice lines and things like that, I had very little to complain about. I really liked it. Number score? 
I would go for probably because I played it on the silly difficulty mode that I didn't realize I picked. The custom mode. Yeah, which I actually thought added to it. I'd go for about an eight and a half, I think. I think it could be better if we got rid of some of these like little annoying bugs. Cool. Uh, Eric, how about yourself? Yes. And now I'm, I'm going to make a wild assumption because I assumed, given your opinions on the EU and difficult games, that you'd actually hate this. So go ahead. Well, firstly, I do feel vindicated in my earlier comments when we were doing like the preview video stuff. It does prove a tactical RPG is a really good fit for a game which is colonial marine centric because it lets you control the squad. You've got tactical options with it. It's not just a run and gun thing. I mean, it can be, but you don't want to do that. It will punish you for kind of doing that. I do feel partly it's not fair to review it in its current form because there are some considerable glitches. They're not guaranteed to be encountered. Aaron clearly encountered less of them than I did. I had the entire, I think it's the second, I mean, that's the first proper mission I had to completely blank slate the whole thing because there was something really critical in it that I just couldn't progress because of it. So part of me feels it's not fair to review it in its current form, but it is a consumer product. I think it was released ahead of schedule. But with that said, I think once it's polished, it will be an excellent little game. It's just that there are these things that you do encounter which do bring things to a screeching halt. But don't do it for like, I want something that's cinematic, law friendly. Because it's, you know, there's face huggers impregnating seconds. They've got Wayland Utania commanding colonial marines and stuff. It's not a hard and fast thing. Just do it as a fun game. It is fun to do, but you do need to invest time. You need to have patience, but I think it does reward your patience. But do expect some frustration in the same way as you get with those who have played XCOM. It will be very familiar to you. The other thing worth mentioning is it's the closest we've got so far to a 3D graphical kind of pseudo translation of the tabletop RPG because you get things like stress, trauma mechanics, um, you get personality quirks, some of which don't quite make sense or they pile up a bit too quickly, but I think they'll be nerfed or buffed as the developers go along. So it's worth a buy, but it's with those qualifications. Oh, Eric liked a game, everybody. I did. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but it's just, it needs polishing. Number I'm tempted to give a 7 out of 10. It's just that there were those game-breaking glitches I encountered. Your mileage will vary. What if all those get fixed? Yeah, I would say 7 to 8 out of 10. And I think that's fair. Yeah, it's not the ultimate Aliens game, but it's definitely a lot better than many have been. Because it certainly sounds like you you hit some serious bugs that I said didn't come across. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's the thing. Big yeah, bugs. It will depend on your own personal experience. Crusher bugs. Do, do we need to get you a new PC, Eric? This is a new one, man. <laughs> it's a powerful one. It's just, I mean, we knew from like IGN and that they said that when they were reviewing it, they had a patch come out in the middle of it. And we've just had a patch recently come out, which was quite substantial. But there are some other things that you do encounter. It's just, it's just very hit and miss as to whether you do. So I really enjoyed this game. I thought it was an awesome new Aliens experience that merged different game genres together. 
real-time strategy, survival horror, even some light RPG and roguelite elements, you know, with the permadeath and being able to create the Marines exactly how you want them to name them. And there's things I think they could have done a little better with a presentation. Like I would have liked the Marines to talk to each other a little bit more, but overall I like the story. I like how they play around with the lore a little bit and we'll get there with our conversation. I'm sure. But overall it was just a really fun experience and it was a challenge and the game warns you like right off the bat, this is going to be difficult. But once you get the hang of it and the tutorials are very helpful, they guide you through the whole process at the beginning. And once the game is just firing on all cylinders, it's just a great aliens experience. So I think I'm right in line with you, Chris. I'd probably give it like an eight and a half out of 10. So bug wise, this one's a hard one to really talk about fairly because it seems to be quite a subjective thing. So like Adam, Chris and I didn't really see any bugs at all, did we? I saw a little bit here and there, but nothing too bad. Nothing major. Yeah. Like I I think the Chris and I and Eric were talking before Adam got here. You know, one of the bugs we'd encountered was when you get an alien caught in the door when you're welding it just as it shows up. I encountered that one, but that one was an easy solve for me because you just killed it through the door with the fire. The only other one I really encountered was the alien sort of T-pos floating after you'd killed some of them. So it was minor aesthetic, minor gameplay sort of issues for me. Nothing that broke the game at all in in my experience. But fortunately, you know, Tinderloss has been quite active in responding to the bug reports, getting as much info as they can. And obviously they've already pushed out a major patch for all platforms. PC came very quickly. We all played on PC, didn't we? Yeah, we all played on PC. So that one came out really quickly, dealing with some of the things that were brought up within, what was that, the first week? Something yeah, like, like the, that? the console patch came a little bit after, but they patched the PC fairly quickly. Well, the console, for those who don't know, the console patches take longer to come out due to bureaucratic bullshit, where it has to go through approval from Sony and Microsoft before they go out. Um, unless it's changed over the last 10 years, the publishers also get charged per update on the consoles. I very much doubt that's changed. So what they'll tend to do is they'll tend to wait for a lot of fixes to go out in one go um, on the consoles. That's not a problem developers face on the PC. So that's why we tend to get them a lot quicker and easier on the PC. Thank God he sends us PC player. Well, no, that's a lie. I think we've all got everything pretty much, haven't we? But um, most of my game intends to be on the PC. So that out of the way in terms of bug fairness talking subjectiveness. I really fucking loved Alien to Dark Descent. It was a game I didn't know I wanted until the first details about it started coming out or uh, Gamescon, I think it was, you know, near enough, near enough a year ago. And ever since then, I've been really looking forward to it, really looking forward to it. When I finally got to sit down and, and play through it, I had an absolute fucking blast. Mechanically speaking and thematically speaking, this game is to aliens what isolation is to alien, in my opinion. It's that on the edge of a knife kind of feel of everything going from chaos to being controlled. You are, you know, Gorman and your competence is um, the thing that decides what edge you're going to fall off of, of that knife. And sometimes as well, it's not even that. Sometimes it is an unfortunate choice or an, a wrong decision. And it can feel a little unfair at times, but such is the nature of the alien world. So I, I personally did a lot of reloading. I, I'm not I'm not about permadeath. I did lose one guy, unfortunately. But in general, I'm one of them scummy wankers who will reload the game so he doesn't lose his, his good dudes. But it was a very tense... Is that the right word? 
Yeah, I think tense is the right word. It was a very tension-filled experience. It was a difficult experience in the same way that isolation was fucking difficult. But in that difficulty becomes satisfaction. The satisfaction of, oh shit, they've found me to surviving, to moving on, to accomplishing things. Games that are difficult, I think, do inherently, they make you work for it. Sometimes that can feel like a cheat. Sometimes it can feel themed and appropriate. And with both isolation and this, I feel it was very fucking appropriate. I I liked the the management of stress and resources. It made you pick what you were doing. It made you pick the moments when you were uh, sheltering and stuff like that. And it added a whole other layer to it that really contributes towards this feeling of being the commander. You know, you are responsible for the lives of these these Marines. And, And it worked. It worked really well for it. Eric, I think, said it uh, about comparing it to the RPG. You know, that's something, Chris, you and I said to each other as we were playing it. It felt like a video game adaptation of a custom scenario that somebody had written for the Alien RPG. And that's not just that's not just mechanically speaking. I think in terms of the level of lore, the level of older EU stuff that made its way into this game's narrative, that made it feel like somebody was sat there, yes, with the core book going through writing a campaign based on all the bits of law that had been assembled in there. And to some degree, you know, as as our interview with Debo confirmed, you know, that's what they were doing. That core book was on their desks and it was making a impact on what they were doing with the game. And it shows. But we said it when it came out that that, that book is like a Bible. Oh, yeah. It's everything that you need to know about the Alien Universe in one core book, which is really surprising for an RPG. And it's good that somebody's using it. It was written mostly by the guy who wrote Fox's internal Bible for the Alien series. And it's as close as I think you'll get to a commercial version of it. You know, these guys, unless things have changed with studios, you know, should have had access to that internal Bible anyway. Maybe not under Disney. I don't know. But yeah, they were written by the same guy. So it makes sense. Score wise. <laughs> I think I'm with you guys. I think I'm I'm at an eight five, eight point five, an eight. You know, because I didn't experience them much. I sort of brushed the bugs aside. But there are elements of it that I think hold it down a little bit for me, and that's mostly just um, no like new game plus, no way to revisit certain areas. So if I want to go through and do all the data pads, having finished the game, I can't. I can't do it now. I'd have to try and load an older save or what's going to be more likely is I just restart the game, which I'm going to do anyway because I want to do it on a higher difficulty. But things like that I think can be annoying and and I do completely get that that would be annoying to people and I completely understand it. The game does end on a bit of a cliffhanger. No, no, that's not a lie. It's not a cliffhanger. Very loose threads, shall we say, it ends on, which without a sequel or without future content might be a little bit frustrating. But the actual package overall, I think, was really good. I really enjoyed the story. It is very EU. So, again, that's why I thought Eric wouldn't like it, because I know Eric doesn't really like the older comics and stuff. But as somebody who does digest all the fucking EU and, you know, does genuinely enjoy most of it, seeing certain elements brought back in was something that I found really satisfying. I put a smile on my face. So I very much enjoyed it for those elements. So, uh, yeah, I think an 8.5 from me. What should we talk first in more detail? What's what's the thing that you guys really want to talk about? Why don't we get into the story a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. So this is, what, 10 to 20 years after Alien 3? Yeah, I think so. And we start on this orbital space station of this planet Lethe, a pioneer station. And to a moon. Yes, it is a moon. Yeah, one of the data pads specifies that. They're like mistakenly thought of as a planet. But you play as Mako Hayes. 
Waylon Yutani Jr. Executive, who's deputy administrator. So she runs the station. Her boss is kind of an ass. Kind of runs the station. She's only deputy. Okay, kind of runs the station. Did he not remind you of Simpson? Al Simpson yeah. a bit. I think, I think that was very intentional. Yeah. yeah. But she notices um, a weight discrepancy on this cargo shuttle in the hangar called the Bentonville. And a little bit earlier, we saw a maintenance worker hit another one over the head. And so there's some something foul afoot going on. And we get to this point where there's an outbreak on the station after a bit of wandering around and learning the basic controls. And Mako decides to initiate this thing called the Cerberus Protocol, which are all these death satellites around the station. So she sees it as she has no choice because this cargo ship that has an alien specimen aboard has taken off and is leaving the system. But there's other ships in the area as well. The Baldrin as well as the Marine ship, which just arrived, the USS Otago. And this defense system wipes out the two non-military ships, but the Otago is is holding up slightly. But a Marine squad has boarded the station in the meantime, when it seems like something is, is going wrong, and they meet up with Mako. And eventually, they escape the station. The Marine ship crashes, but is mostly intact, and it becomes a base of operations for them to find out what's going on on this planet. So that's kind of the basic setup, I guess. But we go through all these different environments on the moon. Apologies. <laughs> different settlements. And that's one of the things I really liked about this game is because each level had a very different aesthetic vibe. Mm-hmm. The first one is very Aliens Hadley's Hope Colony, right? It's this, this settlement called Dead Hills. And it very much evokes that feeling of, of Hadley's hope. So that one was, was a great one to start off with after the station, which was pretty, the station was pretty alien isolation feeling, mm-hmm. I thought. But yeah, it was the same space like here. You know, you still had a lot of that Nostromo aesthetic, that Sevastopol aesthetic on Pioneer Station. It really eased you into that familiar quite well without, I think, being repetitive. Yeah, definitely. Especially because it's been near enough, nearly 10 years since isolation, 10 years next year. Year after. Yeah. yeah, that's right. 2024 will be 10 years. Yeah. And Bentonville, I think, is a ref, maybe a low key reference straight off the bat. It's where Walmart Walmart was founded. Oh, right. It? Yeah. They, they pointed that out. I just guessed it on the uh, Perfect Organism podcast about this game. And they, they noticed that. I was like, Walmart? Really? They're doing the alien resurrection reference? Okay. But that's fun. So you already brought up Cerberus. That was the first moment where I was like, this is both brilliant and stupid it's stupid if there's no payoff to it because why would you have a um a death array around a colony world <laughs> but then it, it was one of those things where i was like they've got to know there's aliens on this planet in which case this is actually pretty fucking good because of you know they're actually taking quarantine seriously but i don't the game doesn't exclusively confirm Either way, and Adam didn't didn't Tebow have a another theory as to that? Yeah, that it was if like I believe he was saying if it was to an infestation got to a certain point where it would attract the attention of other entities, like you know rival companies that would come to the planet and try and get the alien for themselves, they would just wipe it clean so they wouldn't have anything to get for themselves. Which was a different way of looking at it, very commercial and corporate way of looking at it that I think works, but. It's not conclusive in in the game, but it's, there's enough there, especially when you get to the last level where they reveal that the existence of the Xeno City, as they call it, I much prefer names like Necropolis and stuff like that. But right. you know the the Xeno City, you know they've known about it for a long time, so you know they 
gives you the reason there straight away as to, yeah, they've known about it ages. It makes sense. They've got these death satellites up there. Definitely not something I think is, is hanging around a lot of uh, worlds and moons and stuff like that. But Which what did have you guys no think of that? target discernment capabilities whatsoever. And then once a ship gets past it, they're incapable of turning. Hey, do you know how much that propellant costs? What of whatever, whatever they use on whatever they use on the satellites, they can't just turn them around. Yeah, spinny gun platform propellant. Uh, go on there, guys. It, it's it was a very hand wavy. The whole thing felt very much like a Dark Horse comic. It was very hand wavy, and I, I got the sense that a lot of stuff were just flung at the wall. And it feels like you're saying that as a bad thing, though. Whereas I feel like saying it felt like a, no, a Dark good Horse comic, bad. or yeah, good and bad. They're, they're, Good things and bad things, like the death satellite things. It doesn't make practical sense, but you, it's the kind of thing you would 100% expect to see in like a Dark Horse comic. So yeah. that's why I said it's it doesn't fit with the cinematic law so much, but it, it fits like with the comic and the stuff. It's totally in line. I mean, the story did make, make me raise my eyebrow a couple of times, but overall, I liked the characters. I was into it. Some of the cinematic moments, there's a lot of cutscenes in this game. Like, we all complain that Fireteam Elite didn't have enough cutscenes, but this game has a bunch of them. Uh, and the first time they reveal an alien warrior is just this, such a cool shot of it, like mm-hmm. crawling out of these tubes with the red light. And that's one of the things I think this game did really well is incorporate the horror aspect of aliens. They're still mowing down a bunch of aliens, but the, you're not running around hallways doing it. You're still trying to avoid them. You're having to hold up in different rooms set up uh, lines of suppressive fire and turrets like there's the sense that this force will take you out if you're not careful so it doesn't feel like a run and gun game it feels like yes it does have a good amount of action but it feels survival horror in, Uh in the sense that you're managing your inventory you're moving slowly and trying to avoid enemies there's some encounters that can't be avoided so it's not like you can sneak through the whole game or anything but for the most part, you want to avoid alerting the aliens and alerting the hive. And this mechanic is just so well done. I thought sometimes it can get a little irritating if like you get spotted and you're right before like a massive onslaught and you're like, ah, I'm just going to reload my save, you know. But sorry, we'll get there. So the story, I thought overall, we don't have to go through the whole thing, but I like the characters. Mako meets up with this marine captain who, uh, well, he's the captain. Of the ship dies and he has to assume command as the new captain, I guess. And it was kind of a fun moment because he initially is a little reluctant. He's like, he gets to the the armory master or quartermaster, I guess. And he's like, you have seniority, not me. He's like, nope, captain's orders. He wanted you in command. He's like, oh, all right. So it was kind of a an interesting moment there. Straight off the bat, characters like that are ones I really like. You know, it's, it's Hicks who finds himself in this situation where he's got to take command. It's uh, Ripley in the same situation. It's very typical aliens thing. But I feel like it's also, despite how frequent it does come up, it's not one that feels overdone somehow. And I don't know how they always get away with that. And in some regards, it's almost like Dallas because Dallas is somebody with authority in a situation that does not want to be the one in authority in those situations. It's the reluctant hero. Yes, it is very much. And I I really like it. Um, I hate, not he's um Harper um is the sergeant who is forced upon command. And I really liked him. He was interesting in an old EU kind of way. Which I if I remember rightly, Chris and Adam, you don't like no, what that's very much based on. I'm kind of 
indifferent, I guess. I think well, I suppose before you go before you go into it, go on. Let's explain it. So Jonas Harper has this ability where he can some might call it a psychic ability, but he can detect the alien signal and kind of hear the hive mind a little bit in his own head. And it physiologically affects him. This has been something we've seen in the EU before, most notably in the book Sea of Sorrows, but also in the older comics. You know, we see the aliens can maybe sometimes influence dreams or something like that. It's something that I think as long as it's not pushed too far, uh, like full Starship Troopers psychic thing, you know, as long as it's still at least a little grounded, like the alien queen must have some way to communicate with her drones. So it makes sense that maybe some with might have this latent ability to pick up that signal. So I didn't mind it. I think it was handled fairly well in this. I don't know. Spoilers. I don't know why it had to ultimately kill him. I was like, really? Okay. Yeah, I was a bit like that too. I don't know why I had to die. Because they were trying to take off Luke Skywalker, basically. Yeah, that's why I thought it's, like, oh, it's Luke Skywalker. This is the thing. It wasn't explained in a way which makes sense. He wasn't a latent telepath or whatever. The game was basically insinuating it was what was happening with his daughter. Therefore, he has it. But I'm thinking to myself, wait, they're doing the experiments on the daughter. She has oh, the ability. No, he, he, he was experimented on, too. He was yeah. experimented on, yeah. But he was too far into his military training, which gave him resistance towards it. And well, that's why Marlowe couldn't use him. Yeah. That's why Marlowe couldn't well, use no, him. It's, it's not the court, is it? It's the, uh, yeah, the it's, it was said about. Yeah, it was the doctor. He okay. tried. It's he actually then. says, oh, I tried, but you were too far into your colonial marine training, which gave you resistance to... Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense then. I, I missed that, see. And there's there's a lot to dig into with just the narrative elements of the world. It's one of the things I like the most about this game. There's data pads everywhere, and you can read about the lives of people who lived on this moon, worked on this moon, who were involved in these different levels of whaling yutani and these secretive things going on. It's something we've seen before in other games, like audio logs and stuff like this. This one's all text-based, but the text was all really interesting. And beyond that, there's a codex that if you need to revisit any tutorial, you can go back there. There's a bestiary where you can see all the different enemy types and the game talks about them. So there was a lot of good reference material that the game gives you when you're just pausing it. I think world building Dark Descent does a really good job at, you know, there's a lot of, you get a picture of the entire history near enough of Lethe through through the various data pads. I love games that give you data pads and stuff like that because it does add a lot of layers that aren't necessary. But when you dig into them, you know, it really paints a bigger picture that works really well and makes it really interesting. And Dark Descent did a fantastic job at that. And even through some of the um, the visual storytelling as well, to see all these different styles of locations on this planet, you know, you you get to see a more developed city rather than you know the the ramshackle colonies that we start the game out at, which is really interesting as well. In terms of the psychic stuff, I, I wanted to bring that up as well because it's something I'm very used to because of again the uh, the first comics. You know, the the queen has the ability to influence humans. I was never really keen on it in Sea of Sorrows. I was never really keen on it in Sea of Sorrows, mostly because I have a different way I would like it to be handled that the games never do and the EU never does. And I kind of thought it was going to go this way in Dark Descent. So in, in Sea of Sorrows, the main character is just a relation to Ripley. And they, there's some connection there because the aliens of this particular hive dealt with her in the past and there was some blood connection. He wasn't psychic, he was empathic. And I thought it would have worked far better had he been a relation of Ripley 8 
and it was an actual connection in the same way that she was connected to the hive and resurrection and i thought early on well, no, maybe halfway through. It was when we first started hearing about Cassandra in the game that he was going to have been a host that had an alien taken out of him, almost in the way that what's his face is in the first two, uh, the first Marvel arc. Gabriel. Gabe, yeah, because I actually quite like that that way of doing it. You know, there being some sort of latent connection from him having an alien in him, and I thought that was the way it was going to go with Harper here. So I was a teeny bit disappointed that they didn't do it that way anyway, but. I, I still found it interesting. I liked that he had a very visible deterioration as the game went on. You know, you could see it in his face pretty much every cutscene that the effort of him tapping into the aliens was was physically draining him. And I liked that representation. I thought it built up very nicely. Mako, as a character, Hayes, I thought was really interesting because she's very much the anti-portrayal of a normal Wayland yutani employee. You know, Wayland yutani is generally bad and greedy and all that sort of stuff. And and you get that in this game with Price. She contrasts very sharply to Mako and the journey that Mako has in this game. And I really liked that. I really liked her being, you know, Ripley or kind of follows the same arc in the first film you know this this rule follower she's following protocol you know i'm turning on the cerberus but then through her encounters and and time spent with the marines you know she's very much takes on this more heroic aspect to her character to the point where you know that last the start of the last mission there's a cinematic of uh, it pans up and you see her in the marine armor and I actually got, you know, goosebumps then. I was like, okay, this is very much earned. This is satisfying. I'm very happy to see her kitted up like this and having shouldered the responsibility of rescuing Harper's daughter, which is what the crux of the, you know, sort of last bit of the game is. It's about finding Harper's daughter, who is this, the objective of the cult, which is another thing I really love in the game. You know, it finally revisits cults, which is something that the EU hasn't done a lot of. It was in the first... The first comic, you know, uh, the Church of the um, Immaculate Incubation is responsible for the downfall of mankind in the EU, basically. We've had them in the RPG. Yeah, in yeah. In Dest- yeah. Destroyer Worlds. Destroyer Worlds, yep. And they had pamphlets. Yeah. And uh, there was also a cult of sorts in the Covenant prequel who were very much in the right. They had every right to be trying to stop the Covenant from taking off. That's a whole other story. They did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to have to review that book. That, that, that's a whole other thing but yeah i was really satisfied to see um, the cultists actually show up in this because it's something i find pretty interesting that i don't think the eu plays with enough but yeah so harper's daughter ends up being kidnapped by these guys and the end of the game is about rescuing her and bits and bobs like that so mako sort of shoulders that responsibility to rescue her when uh, harper can't and just that final mission you know it's a very satisfying moment where you have all these other characters come together to go and go and do that and it feels very well earned and i really liked that yeah when mako finally dons that marine armor it feels like a really good payoff to her character arc and once you land on the planet, Jonas tells her to familiarize herself with the ship and she goes around to these different parts of the ship. And this kind of becomes your hub in between and also during missions, because you can also, if things are getting a little too intense, you can retreat back to the ship, promote some Marines, resupply and try another mission in progress because this whole game is persistent. So everything is right where it was when when you left off, if you go back to your ship. Now, some things like the hive infestation, well, not the infestation level, the alert level, I guess, of the hive may have receded a bit. But in terms of your objectives, that's something you can just pick back up. 
But all the other Marine characters on the ship, they were interesting as well, I thought. And Mako was a good character in, in a lot of her interactions. Like, she wasn't perfect. She had flaws. And sometimes she would be called out on like, hey, you shouldn't say that. And she's like, oh, okay, you're right. Maybe I shouldn't. Like, I think there was uh, a couple instances where she challenged a Marine on something. And he's like, no, that's not what I'm what I'm doing. And she's like, okay, you're right. I understand. I'm sorry. So like, she showed some introspection. And that also became evident when she was seeing more of what the company was up to that she didn't realize in this company that she was very much in support of. This was her career. And then seeing more what they were doing. She's like, okay, we need to expose this. So she did have a really interesting arc, and I quite enjoyed her as a character. Didn't you pick up on, like, it felt to me, it wasn't, like, hard on the nose, but it felt very much like it was Machiko that was the template right down to that moment where she's changed into a more combat-ready costume at the end. Machiko had all that stuff, even down to the Asian ethnicity and a name beginning with the letter M. It felt very much like Machiko did in that first AVP story. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Similar mental journey as well. Yeah, with starting off as a corporate and yeah. getting more into the, the field. Yeah, I could see some parallels there. But that's that's also in the same way there's, there's parallels with Ripley as well in the first film. I actually thought she was very uh, Amanda Ripley, to be honest. Yeah, but I was saying that Ripley wasn't like she wasn't a Wayland you like a company executive. No, this but she was a role follower. Machiko, Machiko wasn't with Wayland Yutani, but she was still very much like a by the book. I don't get my hands dirty with this sort of thing, and she has to learn because she's not a people person. And this one, Mako, yeah. very much has to learn that. Except instead of ranch hands, here it's Marines and soldiers and engineers and things. That's that's fair. When I compare to Ripley, I compare to it more as a following protocol, following the yeah. rule book kind yeah. of thing. But yeah, no, you, you, you're quite Machiko right. Machiko follows Ripley as well. It's just that it felt like more directly Machiko, yeah. There's, there's a lot of interesting moments with the dynamic of her and Jonas Harper. And they butt heads a lot, but also you can tell they're they're also kind of developing a friendship with each other at the same time. And I thought that was was really well handled as well. Yeah, there's a there's a satisfying thing about frenemies, I think, especially the way. So obviously, Mako is the one that initiates the Cerberus Protocol, and she holds on to it for a little bit. And I have a thing about when characters hold on to a secret too long in a narrative, and I think they executed it perfectly in Dark Descent. You know, it wasn't held on too long for for dramatic effect. She drops it like what two missions in. Something like that. Yeah, it's not long. Very early on, where I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad you haven't done this. I'm glad you haven't held on to it longer than you needed to, because it then also influences the way these other characters reacted to her. And she has to sort of earn, in some regards, you know, their trust and friendship. She starts off, doesn't she, going, oh, I don't know what happened. So strange. And it's but like, not oh, for yeah, long. it was me. It was me that did it. Sorry. <laughs> so then she has to, you know, sort of earn that trust back which I, I you know like i said i find satisfying I'm, i've used that word a lot today and that is the general feeling i have of this game is very satisfying anyway chris you were saying something about reminding you about amanda yeah how basically i suppose it starts off like in the game how amanda first gets confronted with it like if you if you remember like she was dead scared and you, you kind of went through like an alien isolation-esque sequence in the tutorial which i died on so many times same yeah same very frustrating tutorial yeah that was so hard to get but then Ad- then adam blitzed through it on his second playthrough on the live play no fucking yeah, problems so, yeah. well i i died a few times before that but 
Not in the not in the live stream. Yeah, but I mean, the first time I played through that tutorial, it took me a few attempts. But it's like how, like, even in the game for isolation, uh, Ripley gains this confidence and things like that. I find it's like a similar arc, and then she becomes this warrior against them, which she does in the comics. So, it, to me, it had a lot of parallels. I thought with Amanda Ripley. I could see that, especially when you're taking into account the the stories post isolation that we've seen of her. Yeah. yeah. So what did you guys think about the cult being back? Obviously, it's something I really enjoyed, but what about you guys? I thought it was a really cool idea, especially how they had these kind of cybernetically outfitted soldiers that they would call guardians. And the idea with them is they would have this chest burster and kind of like a tank in their chest that would allow them to be among the alien hive. And yeah, I mean, just like the one from the comics, the cult of Immaculate Incubation, this cult is worshipping the aliens, essentially, in some regards. But once once you get to the end of the game and you hear what the cult leader is talking about, there are some parallels between a comic I know Aaron and I really love, Apocalypse, the Destroying Angels, and some some parallels there with the goal of the, I guess, cult leader, how he's like, the aliens are just going to spread across the galaxy and I'm trying to find a way for us to to live together with them, where... You know, they call it what xenosynthesis and they just kind of get it. They start talking about that at the very end of the game. So that's kind of another thread that's that's left hanging a bit. But overall, I thought the cult was really interesting. Some of their voice lines were a bit eh, as like, get the non-believer or something. I was like, yeah, come yeah. on, guys. But some of the little conversations they were having between each other. Like, oh, man, why am I been chosen yet? What am I doing wrong? And the other people, you just need to be patient. They'll come for you. Time will come. And they're so excited about it. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun, actually. I'd have liked them more if they weren't so painfully basically a takeoff of, you know, redneck hillbillies. You do get a lot of yeah. that, kill the unbeliever, or you're going to yeah. get them heretics mail here. It's, <laughs> yes, it's a little bit too... Yeah, and the, it doesn't help but with the Guardians, some, it's very incontis- inconsistent sometimes. They've got the voice modulator because it's a thing yeah. that's physically gone into the flesh. And sometimes it's got that sort of semi Dalek quality, and other times it's just speaking like a normal dude. And then I noticed this that thing, too. they're carrying a fish tank basically around in the middle of the chest, and yet the chest, which shouldn't affect the rest of them because it's just this clear blue liquid. And then one time it does emerge anyway, and it somehow kills him. Shouldn't he just be walking around still? It's quite bizarre. It doesn't make sense. Visually, they're fantastic. I loved how they look. But the execution was very much underwhelming. Like they don't really, aside from hanging around the aliens, which they could have done with spraying some kind of pheromone on them, the payoff isn't there. And yet they were hyped in a lot of the marketing stuff. And everybody on the fat forums were like, wow, these look like interesting. They should have had, I was thinking, maybe what's happening is it's not just a delayed gestation thing. Maybe it would have been interesting to see them. They've got a parasite. Maybe they're parasiting off the parasite. Maybe they're taking some of the traits of the aliens, which would explain why they've got this sort of giga like thing up the arms. I think, oh, maybe they've got these extrasensory abilities. Maybe they can direct the aliens to the Marines or give them extra strategies. No, they're just guys with guns. Yeah, that's was a fair potential. Point. The potential was not. It felt like there was a lot of squandered potential. Human enemies in the alien games, I don't think, tend to ever really be fully interesting. But Eric, I think you make a great point there. It could have been more uh, made for a, a better gameplay experience had it been something to do with changing the aliens' behavior and the tactics that they were using. I think that now that you bring it up, yeah, I think that was a real missed opportunity there. 
that could have set it against a lot of other alien games because then you could have had these moments where, like in the film, you know, they cut the power. Did they do it deliberately? You could have had moments where the aliens are very deliberately doing stuff like killing your senses or, or they're doing things and you figure out these, th- these shouldn't even be able to comprehend what, what you're, how to do this. How are they doing it? Then you discover it's these guys. And then you realize that's the mechanic for the game telling you, take out these guys because they're doing the coordinate. Like in um, Warhammer, you have things that are sort of coordinating tyranids. And without them, they kind of devolve back into default tyranids. These could have been these coordinating intelligence that also know how to use ranged weapons. It could have been so much better. And they just basically make them into Frankenstein creatures that know how to use guns. And they're still talking to one another in a normal human way. You could have had lots of Ripley-esque sort of them explaining these philosophical concepts and stuff. And even when one is aboard the ship, it's just talking like a normal dude who's been indoctrinated psychologically. And there's so much there. Nothing. It just felt, as I said, this is one of those things where I felt like they had a lot of ideas, they threw them at the wall, and they didn't have time to implement them, or they wanted to do things, and and it just didn't work out. But I loved how they looked. I wanted it to go so, because you had that first reveal, and on Adam's Perfect Organism episode, they will talk about this, you had that great reveal in a cinematic, and you just shoot one. And you go on with the rest of the mission. It felt like they intended to have these guys have a bigger purpose. And the bigger purpose was not there. Yeah, you do. And I didn't collect all of the the data pads, but you do wonder, okay, what are these guardians just like more powerful cultists that are that are just that? Or is there some sort of end goal to them beyond just delaying the the incubation, allowing them to walk amongst the hive. So I would have liked to have seen that idea of those characters develop a bit more. But I noticed the same thing with the inconsistency of, of the voice lines right after that first cutscene. They sound like every other cultist you've you've already been fighting. And I was like, wait, what? And then later in the game, when one gets on the ship, and then again, in one of the final battles, they sound as you think they might sound, you know, a bit more like they have cybernetic enhancements. So I do wonder if that's just a a technical issue with the game. But overall, I thought that the cult's inclusion as the primary antagonist in the game was well done. And it led to some interesting moments because there's a few points in the game where you're rescuing survivors and you have to choose like who to trust if someone is secretly a cultist. And those little narrative bits, I, I wish there was kind of more of them, more different directions the game could go with the secondary objectives. Often it's like scorched earth or everyone's a friend. You have those two extremes and there's no third option or something which could have been interesting. But um, Again, it's not something the game did. I did actually quite like those bits, though, because I think I let on somebody on the ship that I shouldn't have. It, it was kind of brutal being like, right, I'm going to either put a bullet in him or he's coming back to the ship. Can't you just put him in the brig or something? Uh, we, ain't got the, we ain't got the resources for that bullshit. It's fine. But that those were interesting moments because it was like you had to go around that little area and find like logs and stuff, which would give you a, a picture of who these people were. You know, you assembled evidence and knowledge about what they'd been doing recently. And then when you found them based on the on what you'd found so far, you know, you then had to make the choice of are we rescuing or are we executing them? That was a fun moment, actually. I really liked that. And I think the game has lots of nice moments like that as well. I don't want to take away from the whole because I do think the whole was good, but there's lots of uh, macro, micro moments that are 
really interesting and, and added to that, you know, feel that unfair, that ambiguous sort of tone of the Alien series overall that I really dug. Did anyone get the feeling that the writing team on this game really don't like scientists? <laughs> they all look like Nazi guys and they're all going, yes, they're experiencing pain beyond your wildest dreams. It was just the one bad scientist. You had good Two. ones. You had Marlowe and Marlo Oh, okay. Well, he's the cult leader. I just met aboard the ship. Yeah, he he was a little too telegraphed. <laughs> he was far too telegraphed, he was. They're a bit too David eight. Actually, if you remember, because you were a bit further than me, Aaron, and I says, oh, man, they've had it on the ship. He's got an alien in his chest. Oh, yeah, but it's in stasis. I went, it's going to get out. And then straight away, it's like, oh, it's out. Oh, it's predictable. (laughs) There are just a couple of... I mean, how much time did we all put in the game? Adam and I were both 44 hours. Yeah, 38. Eric? I finished it yesterday, so probably (laughs) the most. You know, we all put a lot of time into this, so it was... It's funny because people were complaining about Alien Isolation being too long at 10 hours. And I'm like, you know what? I wanted more. And yeah, it took me 44 hours to do this. And, and I got, a lot of it's to do with the difficulty and redoing bits and blah, blah, blah. But it, it does mean that there are some areas where the game is a little bit thinner than I wish it had have been in terms of things being too predictable or too, you know, stereotypical in that regard. But not, again, not enough to really damage it for me at all. Because I think the game mechanically... It's very strong. I think I said this in, in my little preamble when we started. It feels like aliens in the way it feels like, you know, you are Gorman. Did you guys, did anybody else want to talk about, you know, like that kind of aspect of, of the game? Yeah, the gameplay was really engaging. How you control your squad is just a singular unit and the game kind of picks which squad member is the best suited for whatever task you are instructing them to do. There are some instances where you're selecting specific squad members to do certain things like to heal or something like that. But for the most part, you're working as a singular unit. Thankfully, the pathfinding is better than AVP Extinction. But there, I had a couple issues with that. Not too many. But yeah, using your squad to explore these environments and you have your motion tracker. And so there's alien threats moving around these buildings inside and out. It made for just a really tense experience. And I love those moments where you have to hide and recover from your stress levels. Or if a massive wave of aliens is coming, and it's like, okay, let's get these turrets down. Let's do mines here, suppressive fire here. And you're like, okay, I'm ready. They're coming. Let's go. And it's like that scene in the movie, right? When when they're all preparing, when the aliens are, are getting in the room. So I think I think the gameplay was just awesome. And I love the diversity of environments, the environmental storytelling and exploration. Like there's a level that starts off in the snow. It's like I've never seen aliens like in the snow outside of the new Marvel comic, I guess. So that was that was cool to see. You're forgetting one of your favorite movies. Oh, AVP, but it was just the queen. So hey, we saw some of them in the snow in the grotto. Oh, yeah, you're right. Before. Yeah. Before the pyramid blew up. OK, well. Not much. All right. Fake fun. It was was a cool thing to see again, I guess. All I'm saying is the environments had a lot of diversity between the industrial and eventually we get to the city called Pharaoh Spire. And it's just this massive tower and the city itself, the streets and the cars feel very Blade Runner-esque. Even the the office that you eventually get to at the end of the end of that level with Price's office, like it felt very Blade Runner 2049 with like the water next to the pathway and stuff. So yeah, gameplay was really solid. Yeah, the gameplay as well. I really enjoyed how it because of you, you're able to make characters like I made Hicks and so you you were funnily enough in it as well, but you kept stressing out and getting exhausted. 
for like days on end it seemed did, did we all make our marines based off each other because yeah, I yeah, yeah. Some of you guys yeah too. i i didn't i'm sorry <laughs> i i, I, I nicknamed mine based on um all my characters appearances it was the mission where, where they first introduced the cultists and i remember being quite far into the complex ammo was running short stress was super high i had no med kits and i'm like i've got to try and get out of here and i've got a marine down so i'm down to three marines and Hicks, bless him, he's carrying my down marine, who's another friend of mine, who I named after. And we managed to get almost outside. This alien comes in, attacks Hicks. Hicks drops my friend. And then we're all down to pistols. And it grabs Hicks, starts dragging him away. And I'm like, no, chasing everyone after this alien with the pistols. Like, no, save Hicks. He's my comtech. I need him. (laughs) And then I managed to rescue him, pick my friend back up, take him out to the APC, starts an onslaught. Hicks gets attacked again, drops my friend. Acid goes all over my, my other friend. He's dead. <laughs> and we're all just there with pistols. It's like, oh my God, we got out by the skin of my teeth. And I think I'll always remember that. I love how the gameplay just gives you, like, I guess none of you guys will have had a story exact like that. But you'll have your own where you were like, I only just made it out there. Yeah, things yeah, can yeah. go to shit really fast. In the game. Yeah, it does. When it spirals out of control, it goes quick. I mean, there's also ways to mitigate that as well, you know. So somebody earlier talked about like the infestation level. It's it's a very risk reward situation. So if you are having difficulty on a mission, you have the option to go back to the ship. It sort of resets the difficulty of the mission because you go back on a different day. The hive settled down, stuff like that. The end of the first mission, you know, the the first mission, or you know, technically second mission, whatever. You know, you're down in the Trimonite mines, and the first time I attempted to do that. I tried to do it in one go and I got down to the mines and it was fucking rock solid. I couldn't get anywhere. So I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going back to, I'm going back to the ship. So I went back to the ship. We rested everybody up. We came back with more turrets and fully loaded and everybody was no longer stressed out. And I had a far easier time of doing it, which is a cool and interesting mechanic. You know, that, that ability, um, what did they call it? They called it persistent world. So, you know, like all the things you've done would still be there, you know, all the lock, the doors that you'd welded shut, um, any turrets that you'd left down, any of the stationary motion trackers would still be there. But then the more you do that, the worse the planetary infestation level gets. So it's actually harder anyway. So, you know, it's it was a very interesting way of doing it. But then in, in some regards, like just before the final mission, Chris, or everybody, sorry, should I say, at that point, you will have probably unlocked the research that lets you knock back the planetary infestation level a notch. Wait, what? Yeah. I never got that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know about that either. Oh my God, That's guys. Helpful. Tell me. <laughs> I spammed those um, Xeno samples. Yeah, so <laughs> e- each of the queens that you kill unlock like a blueprint for some alien-based technology. And one of the ones that you got and that, it must have been like the last three levels or something like that, was like this aerosol that the scientists could deploy to tone down the infestation level of the planet. And it was just a one you could just spam if you had samples left. So it's kind. I kind of wish going into the, the last level or so that I'd known that I wouldn't be going back and I had all these samples left that I would have just spammed on decreasing the infestation level going into the last few missions. But, you know, the the game is interesting in that it doesn't spoon feed you everything. I mean, it's there. You go read the codex. You go read the notes. It's there for you to know. But there's also so much to manage. Like, I was a fucking idiot in that I thought tools, certain things use tools, so your ability to deploy motion trackers. 
your ability to deploy mines. I thought, because I'm a fucking idiot, that it Same. used tools. To me, the tools were the most valuable resource in the game because that's how you create shelters and then yeah. rest and the rooms. as well, it seemed. And then, you know, that makes them more effective as a fighting force. So I wasn't doing what Chris was doing where he was spamming the hell out of these motion trackers and, and mines and stuff, which cover your arse and also act as distractions that make the playthrough easy. So this is another reason I'm actually quite excited to go through and play it again because there's, there's some depth to it. You know, there was a lot going on. And despite the fact that, you know, like there's no game plus or whatever, it makes me excited to go through and do it again and try and do a better job of it, a more satisfying job of it, should I say. And I think that's great to say of a game that's took 44 hours of my life up, you know, a single player game. I can't say I play many single player games these days. I'm still only in like the first two hours of that space. And um, I, I got like the Star Trek Resolute recently, you know, the Telltale kind of one, and I'm still not finished that one yet. But this one just proper drew me in and, and I want to go back in for more. Mechanically speaking, it was so, it was that satisfying as an Aliens game. Did any of you guys as well, when you were playing it, genuinely feel stressed because i did a lot yes yes and that's that's another thing that i think compares it to isolation you know uh, it's something i often talk about is the physical adrenaline high i came down from the first time i played that game you know because for me alien i associate fear with alien a lot that's a lot to do with my obsession with the series and it informed the things that I was attracted to in later stuff as I went through it. So, you know, coming down off that adrenaline high from playing Isolation for for the first time was incredible to me. And in, in the same way that Dark Descent was really stressful in trying to not pull a Gorman and uh, let everything go to shit, you know, was also a great physical reaction that I enjoyed, in quotation marks, um, about playing the game. So, yeah, it definitely did its job there. There were moments where I I didn't feel stressed, but I could feel my hand kind of go on the mouse. And I looked at it and my hand was shaking. Oh, that might have been blood sugar levels. I don't know. I'm diabetic. I mean, part of that is due to, you know, I think we'll all agree hats off to the art department in this game. It did some brilliant vehicles. Everything they did visually was beautiful but also to the sound design department. Mm -hmm. um, like that, they had some really nasty, like you're just squelching through the nest and stuff like that. And also they replicated that sound in Aliens where they're going through the complex and you just hear the sort of like, ooh, sort of wind over metal type sound as they're just going through the yes. complex. And they and replicated that here. And it really helps to bring atmosphere into it. Yeah, that the way you could sort of zoom your camera in between the exterior and the interior, and you heard the yeah. weather effect, weather sound effects change. Yeah, that too. Yeah, was great. Yeah. yeah, but you definitely had that, and that contributed to this psychological. And I knew it was doing that. Yeah, I will say the game does the death spiral thing really nicely, nicely but effectively. And what it made me think of when I was playing it was that scene in Covenant with the backburster, which I said at the time, I said, this is the best scene in Covenant. And yet they gave it out for free to the viewing public. It was like a 10-minute preview. But that scene is the best part in Covenant because it does this, all the protocols are breaking down, nobody knows what to do. And you get that in this. If you let an opening outflank you, it's on you most of the time. But the AI will take advantage of that. And that is a that makes for a good game experience. But there are other moments, 
um, like some of the glitches I encountered where you put it in, you can either make it pause or go into slow motion. I made it go into slow motion. You can do it as many times as you want, which is fantastic. That was what I was hoping for. And I was seeing, because you get a line of sight mechanic on this, and I was seeing there was an alien that was about to detect one of my guys, and they had just finished searching through a box or something. And And then I did like, get out, move it around the corner. And then all the other Marines were moving around. This one in guy just standing there. And he was like, so I had to double click, double click, no, move, move. And then there were those moments where the game broke down because the AI failed or something. I was going, and it made me aggravated on behalf of the characters. And I was thinking, this isn't doing a Gorman. This is everyone ignoring Gorman. Sometimes that can happen, but there are other moments where you have like, Earlier on, we spoke about party banter. I would have loved that. Like little meaningless chit-chat amongst the Marines, like you hear in Aliens. They'd have just been talking about, like, check those corners or whatever, things like that, or maybe different personalities bitch at one another, something like that. But I would have loved them, if they're trying to be sneaky, to not go, double time, Marines! Would they patch that out? Hopefully. However, I will say, I do agree with Eric. I do think there should have been situational comms. So if you were in stealth, there should have been whispering, move, move. Yes. Mm-hmm. They would have added to the psychology yeah, of those moments. That's right. Yeah. Intense. But also yeah. there are those moments where you have the icons on the bottom of the screen and it's flashing red, like everything is stressed out. Everybody can't fucking, they're going to have trauma for the rest of their lives. And you're going, I just got to get to this part moment. I just got to do this. Let me do it. And the game is visually going, everything's going wrong. Everyone's going to die. And then you hear some bastard over the radio going, want to check that stress squad. And I just impulsively go, <laughs> want to shut the fuck up, squad. Because he's yeah. annoying you. It doesn't add to help. It just it's like when you've got someone you. outside and it's like, we ain't paying you by the hour. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, I'm waiting. to survive. <laughs> yeah. And I would have loved, and this is something they can patch, A, when you change the map, if you're in slow motion, it goes to normal speed. So you have to beware when you're going to the map. But I would have loved, I was expecting, okay, you go to the map, you can give commands on the map. You want them to get the APC. You just want to, to like click on the APC and they would go to it. You can't do that. So you have to keep a memory of the bigger picture. You can only tell them where to go or what to do when it's in the like, personal view. I'm hoping they patch that because that would have made so many things better. Well, that, that was you had to be in the radial of the APC to be able to trigger it. Yeah, but wherever, you're just I going actually like you that, to though. get to a certain place. I mean, you can still move the camera yeah. from the map and then yeah. just... Yeah, that was like, what I had back. to do. Yeah. But it's like a two-stage process. It doesn't need to be. To me, though, isn't that part of the clunkiness of the alien universe? Yeah, but if you're playing, if you're meant to basically be in the role of Gorman, he would have been telling them, right, I want you to head to blah, blah, blah. And Apone would have told his squad, right, we're going to wherever. Yeah, but Apone still had to remember where he had to go. Yeah, but he had the map on his APC. He's basically looking at that all the time. That is Gorman's primary view. He never sees these sort. Well, he sees first person view, like why am I? But he is basically looking at everything from map. And that's the other thing I would have liked it to do instead of just click it. I would have liked to hear hear your character's voice, tell the Marines, blah, blah, blah. But that's all ambient. The basic mechanics, they're all there. Everything can be polished. You don't have things like you can tell the APC to basically buzzsaw through a wall to 
get where you need. Things like that would have made it nicer. We need more tactical options. Could we have some nerve gas canisters, please? We don't have that. Those could have been really useful for the cultists. Smoke grenades, things like that. The more realistic options we have, the better. We don't have those. It's much more, not primitive, but a more basic thing. But what you have, it's a great game with some great mechanics. It just needs polishing, but it does give you the drama you get from the films. Everything can break down really quickly if you are not careful. Most of the time, not always, most of the time you only have yourself to blame. But sometimes, Adam talked about the cinematics, you are told if you press this button, hell is going to descend upon you. You'd better get ready. And so, okay, I'm going to set the sentry guns here, set them, and I do that, and you press it, and then the cinematic takes up, and they just send you into the new room. I think, oh, sentry guns, but my my thing, they've got... And then there's another one where the APC rumbles in, and it trashes all your stuff you put out. And I'm thinking, I spent all my tools putting them down. So there could have been a little bit better planned out. That yeah. And there's another bit where you're trying to extract at the end of the mission and you have all your sentries down and then it just goes to cutscene. It doesn't give you any opportunity. That's, to only the ones to That's true. But I will agree that the presentation, it's great. Could have been pushed a little bit further. I would have liked more banter between the Marines. It happens sometimes, especially when you run across another character. Uh-huh. Uh, in the environment, then you'll get a little bit of that banter, but it would be nice to just have it more situational or, or yes. random. Hunslet's the banter show. Yeah, true. Oh, she's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. She's the, <laughs> the pilot, right? Yeah, she's the yeah. pilot. Yeah, the pilots are always great. She's the Mass always. Effect Joker character, which of course you had Cerberus in this game, ironically. Yeah, and Marlo, another repeat. So, maybe. Porter? I'm not sure. The US, USS Marlo in 2010, Marlo in. Isolation. Yeah, I yeah. noticed that. I thought it Third was time. an AVP to 2010. No, it's a Comrade reference, isn't it? Yeah, um, in Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse well, Now. Unless it was an AVP reference and AVP did the Conrad. <laughs> Maybe it was that. That was the first ship to go down, I think, in AVP. Mm, it was. One thing I did think they did quite well was the with the animations as well for the squads. So like if, if you were coming up to a, a, a door, your Marines, like the Marines to the right, let's say the door was on the right, the Marine to the right pan his rifle to the right and check to make sure it was clear. Yes, as they There's went lots through the of doors. nice yeah. little animations. Yeah, really good. No, I, I noticed that one as well, Chris. There was lots of nice little details like that. And like Eric, you mentioned the earlier, I think you did, the, the earlier APC, you know, the ARC, which is based on an old Ron Cobb piece of concept art for the APC. And it's realized beautifully in here. Yeah. It's even animated on the axles and stuff. It's fantastic. It's great. Lots of, um, although I do wish the SMG in the game would have been the SMG from... Yes, for fighting. From, no, uh, Colonial Marines. Well, Colonial Marines, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even though it's in the trailer, I'm sure I'm sure they use in the first trailer Yeah, that yeah. SMG. It is in that first CG trailer. If we're talking weapons, I just need to point one thing out. You're given options of when you upgrade the soldiers, what do you want them to be? Oh, you get the option of a gunner. He can have the smart gun. Oh, fantastic. I want all of my guys, like half of them to be smart gunners at least. What would you think a smart gun does? It gives you a massive buff to accuracy, right? No, it just fires double the amount of ammunition, so you hit aliens faster. They need to change that. The smart gun needs to have a massive accuracy thing. Not. I think one of the upgrades you get for that class, it puts the little eyepiece. And that was another, and it it did improve their accuracy, but... That was one of the things no, I liked not. about the game is when your Marines, they would choose a certain role, like this one's going to be a medic, this one's going to be a comm tech, 
and then the upgrades you gave them physically like visually changed their yeah their armor appearance before you go on though it's a stupid thing it's a minor thing but it fucked me off so much Tekka. yes this is what i'm what saying a, on what this a call. stupid yeah. name why could they have not called the technician a comtech Comtech. That was Hudson's yeah. role. I, o- I always. I mean, that's how I referred to your character was a Comtech. It's not a Tekka. I mean, this. I mean, it's what we've <laughs> been we've been doing by default throughout here. But yeah, Tekka was a stupid name for a class. I hope yeah. they changed that. So I wanted to bring up a point real quick. So even even though they didn't have the SMG from Aliens Colonial Marines, they did incorporate some other things from that game. You know, we have the Crusher, which originally came from that game. We phase had plasma the, pulse uh, rifle. The phase plasma pulse rifle. That's right. We had that. I as well. love that. That's that special for that as well. Oh, when it's just a the massive like anime yeah. beam, like it was. Yeah. It was great. So that was cool to see again. Uh, this game definitely has the aesthetic of RPG the movie well. Aliens and mm-hmm. and the RPG as well. Yeah, it's going more back to that retro sci-fi. Whereas I feel like Fireteam Elite took it in a bit more of an advanced direction, while still yeah. kind of grounded in that. There's some things implemented from Isolation as well. We have the revolver straight from Isolation, and it's not like the futury version in in Fireteam Elite. It's the actual one in this one, and we have. The Seeks and Synthetics, like the Working Joes, that have been repurposed as Whaling yutani androids. So to see those elements of, of lore incorporated in this, and they have their own additions to the universe too, like the Otago is a ship design we've never seen before. And even though you only see it for a moment, it was the same thing with the civilian ship that was destroyed at the beginning of the game. What was that one called again? I can't remember. It was like the fuel tug kind of looking yeah. thing, went not it? It looked like something from Battlestar, actually. I thought. A tiny little aside, because we've all played the RPG and we're talking of ships. What do you guys think of the Montero? Did it ring any bells? Yeah, so we actually talked to the writer about that one, and I guess it was a mistake. That Ooh, it wasn't intentional? It wasn't intentional, but the writer tried to make it work, because when I was on PO's podcast, Christian had pointed that out. He's like, yeah, I don't think the timing works, because that ship was pretty for sure destroyed, and the years don't really match up here. But he's like, well, the writer, Tebow, told us I had to make it so it was allegedly destroyed. So I tried to make it work because I pointed out like, oh, this was actually in the RPG. This exact ship name, the ship type was in the RPG. But apparently that was kind of put in place and the name was put in place before he saw it. And Mm. it was unintentional. But it was kind of funny because I thought it was a direct reference because, of course, we would think that, right? Especially with the the, uh, the note. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a data pad where it's like, it was thought destroyed, but I guess not. I'm sure you can have more than one ship named the same. What would matter would be the registered number, but you'll probably get ships with the same names. Especially there. if everybody in the alien universe is naming ships after stuff to do with Joseph Conrad. There's only so many references yeah. they can make. <laughs> but that, that ship was somehow much bigger than the Nostromo because you board that ship and it's this giant map. huge. That was a difficult level as well. They were all fucking difficult levels. Let's be honest. Except the very last one. Which which worked. And the writer told us this too. He's like, this was the reward for getting through the rest of the game was just this fully lore heavy level, which maybe we should just get into that at this point because it's one of the things that excited, I think, us the most about it, Aaron. When I talked to you about it, I was like, are they Uh allowed to do this? Really? Because they brought (laughs) back space jockeys proper. Or maybe it's something like from the skeleton is different. And they were giants. The chest was burst open. Yeah, there's no similar. black goo anywhere. There's no Prometheus or Covenant uh, yeah. aesthetic. Yeah. Like, heavily influenced, but it's different. Even I think even Tebow, when we talked to him, was a bit like, maybe, maybe not. So there's still a little ambiguity there. But yeah, when it got to it, I was like, 
space jockeys and i both loved and hated the, the implication but the the implication because of the jockey alien the well the sorry the titan as they call it the idea that the ancient what did they call them in the game is it the citizens ancient citizens something like that you know the the their interpretation of the jockeys had no legs that's the implication from the time. I'm fine with that. I always like have that. hips. Yeah, there's that weird piece of fan art that's pretty well known that shows mm. them walking around on their arms. And I kind of always had that thought of them like the one in the chair is used at the chair because maybe they can like transfer their consciousness between purposed bodies. You know, that's why they're like stuck to the wall like that. So I think that just adds to their weirdness factor. You know, so. I'm not. I don't dislike that bit. That's not what I'm saying. I like it because of that. But it also feeds into like one of my fan theories about there being lots of different type of genetically created creatures running around the, you know, the derelicts doing jobs, you know, the the corridors that we see Kane and um, Lambert and Dallas in are human sized. Obviously, who yeah. the fuck's going through there if the space jock is? Yeah. So, you know, it implies that in my head, sorry, you know, there's there's other creatures going around doing things. Well, originally, O'Bannon meant to have that was the crew. The eggs were meant to have been the crew of the derelict. Yeah, originally. of course. So that, that was the intent. On this one, we see different sized eggs. Like you have your human sized eggs here, and then you have these eggs that are meant for the space jockeys. And, and it's even a point is made while you're exploring them. Oh, don't worry. They're not meant for, you know, organisms as small as you. I actually like that. Oh, quick. They're, they're coming out. It's like, I'm only joking. <laughs> damn it Mar- Marlo was funny actually was. I quite I quite liked Marlo throughout the game or at least what was left of him <laughs> he's happy to hear that well that whole section with all his synths was fucking creepy mm-hmm. yeah it was you know when we come across the first Marlo in the city I was like should I kill him? Is, <laughs> is this going to make things worse for yeah. me if I kill him? is it going to make things matter. worse for me? If, did, did you kill him? yes why well. by accident because there were two aliens right by him and one went and then one of well the, that's one, one of the later ones isn't it no that was one i think it was the first one or second i didn't anyway, think there was any, i didn't think there was any other when you meet him for the first time yeah one of them is by aliens. okay you and, you and killed one the of accident, them then. yeah and, and the marine with you he says yeah you shut the fuck up or something and then you just toddle along and you meet some more mm, fair care. enough but it's weird he has like this factory of cloned synths for some reason you never find it why would you i mean the answer's why when you meet the first one to be fair does he yeah there's some dialogue about i can't remember what it is offhand he was talking about how he, he surrounded himself with himself because he was the only person oh, he really trusted. yeah yeah i thought that was in regards to robots he, he liked robots more than yeah because i think they were all supposed to be like his personality matrix and stuff weren't they so but yeah, Adam, the the implicate what you were saying to start with the implication of them doing the space jockeys is well, it's huge, you know, because it's it's opposite to what Scott wants. Yeah, it felt like old in. EU before Prometheus and Covenant. I mean, this just directly contradicts it. These are the aliens came from this ancient city. So if we're taking Scott's interpretation that David created the alien, it just doesn't make sense because you have the regular sized eggs here that have been there for thousands of years. And they make a point of that, that the city is that ancient. The city was really cool in and of itself because it reminded me of Out of the Shadows. I know it's a different ancient race in that one, but just the idea of this massive underground city and also that comic apocalypse. Yeah, I was was going to say, how how can you have gone to Out of the Shadows first and not to destroy an angels because some of the background stuff in there looked like it was ripped straight from the panels of yeah exactly it did that crossed my mind too. to be fair that was all ripped from geeker's artwork anyway but yeah that i was in awe of some of the background 
uh, elements of those scenes you know just panning the camera around having a look at some of the the constructions and the shapes and stuff like that i was like it wasn't wow. just the architecture i loved the fact they put that blue laser thing by the eggs and yeah yeah it really and cool. you actually saw it intersecting their bodies on the neon line that was a beautiful touch yeah. i love and just like isolation all that environment is pretty much taken from the aesthetic of the first film. It's not like Fireteam Elite where it feels like they incorporated the prequels, which that game incorporated the prequels really well, I thought. But this just doesn't do that. It's just like, here's the jockey aesthetic you remember from the original film. And that was really cool to see. As you all know, I have mixed feelings in the prequels. So as something that felt like old EU, it was great to kind of have that again. Mm. And it's been so long. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been so long. I mean, Cov- not Covenant. Isolation had bits of it, you know. The derelict was the derelict. It wasn't a juggernaut, but like the, the new bits of, of the derelict in Isolation was just a repurposed telescope turned on its side and stuff like that. So this was actually wholly original for the game. And the, the scope and scale of those moments was just wow. You know, when you come to that first citizen encased in... I mean, in my head, I was like, this must be their sort of cryo tubes was where I went with it. But just coming up to that first dead guy, I was like, yes, this feels like the awe I had in all the old stuff when I was exploring the derelict in AVP Classic, when I was exploring the pilot, I think they call it an AVP 2, sort of ruins in, in those missions. This is the same sort of wonder I had experience in those locations and seeing the derelict sort of stuff in alien for the first no not for the first time that all was there for all my repeat viewings of alien but to to revisit that feeling was amazing it was successfully lovecraftian mm-hmm. but again they the skulls are different these aren't literal space jockeys but it is from that school of design they are more entities which is good it returns things to the this is a big playground, whereas the prequels made the world much smaller. And this returns that, well, if these things are out here, what's to say on other worlds we haven't been to yet? Again, the game does some crazy stuff like face huggers impregnating in just second. That was a thing where I thought you have to make choices. And I thought, okay, I'm going to leave this guy here. I'm just going to get this, come back for him, take him out of the APC. And he hatched. What? <laughs> So you're you're talking about your characters being infected there, aren't you? You're... Yeah, but I don't think when you're talking about what it does for canon and the lore. Did it happen because you left your character or if you stood around your character, would it? Yeah, I just stood there because I was trying to figure out, right, where do I go from here? And about five, ten seconds later, he hatched. You do get face hugger removing devices. Yeah, uh, before take I the found that, though. Yeah. yeah. Your deaths are always before you find things and how to save people. <laughs> yeah. So what? in terms of like canon and law, that doesn't matter. Again, you've got a Wayland U tech. You had this weird bit of dialogue earlier on saying, well, who is best suited, a lowly grunt or a Wayland Utani executive? And I thought, Aliens has got a whole scene devoted to Burke having no jurisdiction whatsoever. This game goes the comic rook route. Doesn't matter what they do for canon and lore, it's its own thing. She doesn't take over. He she's sort of like asked to assist him. Yeah, but he ta- he talks about her doing that and he says, Well, we give the Marines half their funding. And I was thinking, that doesn't make any financial sense. It's they're gonna get the so money. So you're from you're talking that. about the scientist suggesting, aren't you? Yeah, but that that's not he's suggesting it. That's not what happens. 
Yeah, but you said earlier, we play her. She's meant to be commanding where the team goes. So in my, my head can, and it wasn't her doing it. She's just on the comms. It's kind of like you're playing two characters at once. I mean, it's, it's, even though she's the main though. protagonist. Yeah, it wasn't clear. Yeah. He promotes her, and then eventually Jonas is incapacitated, and we get another character that kind of fills his role, which is Ma- Major Theo Stern. And yeah. I thought that was an interesting dynamic as well, because he was formerly a Whalen yutani mercenary, and he was kind of screwed over. And so now he's joined forces with the Marines. I believe he was a former Marine himself, but he's fighting against yes. his, his former allies here. Yeah. And that was the, the bit I was thinking of with Mako earlier, where she questions his loyalty. And he's like, hey, you realize what I'm doing here? I'm killing my, my former men here. And she's like, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have like insinuated that. So there's there was a good dynamic with, between them as well. And it's a shame he gets off at the end. Well, maybe I thought that. But the writer's like, well, he just got knocked away. He didn't get much yeah, like the other guy. Die, let's be honest. <laughs> He's not going to survive down there. In, in terms of that last mission there, it's the first time you're not playing. Well, no. Obviously, you start the game as playing Mako directly, but you spend the rest of the game playing your own characters. You choose their upgrades, you choose their appearance, you name them, you choose their skills, and blah, 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 blah. But then it gets to that that last mission, and you are directly controlling Hayes, you're directly controlling Stern, and the robot leg guy whose name I can't call him. Or is it Harm? Robot leg guy. <laughs> So funnily enough, I remember going down there, after, after, obviously after building this squad of badasses, yeah. And they're going, and now I've got a grenade launcher and a shotgun with three Marines. <laughs> it's like, yay, I'm barely surviving with five. When it dropped down, when it was those, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I've just yeah, held that's what I was doing. this yeah. landing zone and I don't even get to go down there with my guys. So that was a little dissatisfying. And yeah, I had the immediate same reaction as Chris did, where it was like, I've only got grenades and a shotgun, but unlimited grenades it's unlimited shotguns so it, it's kind of a cheat in that regard unlimited health too yeah. yeah well the only thing is once the titan alien comes out if he catches up to you and swipes you you're you're just dead instantly so it's really just holding it off as it chases you but mm-hmm. that was a cool it was impressive cool. sequence by the way robot like guy's name is is it leg or is it arm i can't remember i think it's, it's robot arm. arm sergeant rico yeah. martinez Martinez, yes, that's I it. I think you'll think there's a character in Colonial Marines. He's got a leg. Well, Martinez has a prosthetic something, and I couldn't remember what it was. So, the Titan, what did we think about that design? Because that was where it. I was... You liked it, okay. It was cool. At the same time, part of me thought of Aliens Armageddon, and I was like, oh, maybe Aaron <laughs> will associate this with that. Because it was this enormous monster alien, you know, but I don't know. I thought it was cool. I liked how it crawled around on its arms after you. See, for me, I remember going through the big eggs and went, oh, God, what are they attaching to and making? It must be huge. And then you just go, oh, it did look kind of cool. I, I must admit, I did like to see something a bit different from mm-hmm. the norm that we used to. So, you know, it's... I, was I love the jaw mechanic. It, yes. How that was designed. It was part of the jaws. That was neat. You see, that's what I didn't really like. I didn't like the mandibles. Yeah, it was too predatory. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think for me. Like, I liked the tail and I liked it being this giant sort of snaky kind of creature because I think it's the game's only real original alien. You know, it pulls in the Praetorian, it pulls in the Crusher. Of course, you've got your standard runners. Although this, not many games tend to differentiate between 
the smooths and the ridge heads as different casts, um, but this one did. So, you know, it's got all the typical stuff, and this is the only real original original one. And, you know, I, I, it's another interpretation of Jockey Alien, basically. But I don't know. I, I feel like that last mission was a little anticlimactic because, you know, the, the unlimited power-ups and bits and bobs and it not being your characters, it just... Yeah, yeah. It, it was... As much as I had nergasms... It took your babies... Well, I mean, it's not just that. As much as I had nergasms over this environment and the implications of, of the law and stuff like that, it didn't have that tension of the rest of yeah. the game because the moment I realized I had unlimited power-ups, I was like, and health, apparently, early on, you know, I was like, well, this is like a long, quick-time cutscene, basically. Basically, yeah. But fortunately, you know, all the dialogue, all the law, all the narrative aspects of that, were satisfying and entertaining enough that I was like, yeah, okay, get over it, Aaron. This this bit's fine. But yeah, I think, I think that was probably my only real shoulder shrug of the game. Well, here's the thing. I After that, because I, I did feel this feels way more arcadey, but then I thought to my, I had to ask myself if it had been like the best members of your squad and they weren't tired or whatever, doing that mission but they had all the weaknesses and stuff but they had all the zapped up weapons and stuff would that have felt more satisfying yeah i think so kind of but part of me knows that i was kind of grateful for not having to deal with stress anymore all of that stuff it was just a straight a to b i was just treating it as one long cut scene that was kind of like interactive yeah thing is the game doesn't prepare you for that shifting tone I think if you did get that shift, like these are the only characters that could go down, like the, the rest of the squad, they were trapped or something. It would have felt better. But they just like, yeah, see you later, guys. We're going down here. Kind of. You'd think they want to have all the backup. Well, I mean, to, to, to be fair, you are holding the landing zone for them to come down. But I don't know if it's just something you kind of missed in all the action. That you you know that's that's the intent, and you're staying there and holding the ground when they show up. And that was an intense final battle with your regular marines. So I almost liked yeah, it as a breather it mission. It's like, oh, okay, now I can just take in this like really cool environment here. Mm, that's so fair. I I did feel kind of mixed about it because yeah, once you realize you're kind of invulnerable until the Xeno Titan shows up, it does feel a bit anticlimactic. I guess it's like, oh, we're past the climax now. Okay, but now. We're playing as Mako with the marine armor, so there's also that satisfaction of seeing her in this role now mm-hmm. and playing as her in this role. So, yeah, I did feel a little mixed about it, but for me, it was more positive than than negative. I think I would rather see Mako come down with my marines. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but again, there is there is a certain sense of satisfaction from seeing Stern and seeing Martinez there as well. So maybe if it would have been all of them, it would have just been a bit more satisfying and a chance to lose your guys on the way out as well, you know, to make that final chase a bit more dramatic would have had a bigger impact. Maybe. Okay. Here's what they should have done, right? Just like the aliens arcade game, you're going up that big elevator out of the mine. (laughs) Maybe like the thing is chasing you after the elevator and everybody's shooting down at it. But I mean, the dropship was already down there. So no, that wouldn't have worked. Yeah. I was going to, that's what I was assuming you were going to get to the end. There was nothing. And then the dropship was going to hover. And you don't even see your characters. Get back in the dropship in the end cinematics. Uh, just leaves you, you, you only see Cassandra and Mako run up that ramp. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Have we left my squad down here? <laughs> but no, the cinematics, I think, were great. Yeah. Hmm. 
to say how little narrative it felt like Fireteam Elite did had and how it sort of made the game feel a little bit cheaper to then go from that to such heavy and gorgeous, to be quite frank, cinematics in this game was fantastic because, again, that carried a lot of the tone and atmosphere that the rest of the game did. So, you know, there was a very cohesive feel between gameplay and cutscenes. And there was some gorgeous, gorgeous moments, you know, the, when you see the alien emerge for the first time on Pioneer, uh, when you see the, the Guardians for the first time, um, even when you see the, the Warrior... All the introductions, basically, you know, when the crush yep. comes through the door, when you see the warrior for the first time. Even just the bits when, like, the dropship's flying to and from the Otani. Yeah, I love really that. Good. That was love cool. That. Um, it was a, a little stylized, I think, which some people commented about, but it wasn't, it, it didn't You, you know what was also nice? Finally getting to see not just the APC, but the dropship in combat. Oh yeah, yeah that was dogfight cool. with another dropship. Yeah, it's kind of what Aaron said earlier. This game gave me so many things that I didn't realize I wanted to see, or I'd forgotten I wanted to see. Like when you walk into that hangar the first time, or the, or the, the parking area, and you see the APC, and then it's like, now I get to see the plasma guns on top of the APC yes. firing. It's like, oh my god! But not only that, it gives you five marines once you find that old yes. APC, and you've been That's operating awesome. with four until then. So. In my view, there should have been like, okay, you get four personnel, but it should have been two to three different fire teams, and you could enter on different parts of the map, or you could have them come together, because that would have been more like a film. But as it is, you just get four Marines, then it goes up to five, but you're still thinking, oh, no, how would you do guys that still with on the different ship? groups, though? Because what if yeah. you just get screaming, and then it'd be like, oh, they're surrounded, they're dead. There are ways to do it, like you could on various Warhammer. I, li- I like to do it. I just felt it's a little too small in number. But talk- talking about the APCs and, you know, Chris saying, seeing them in action, I actually liked having the ability to move them around the maps to certain points because you could use it as distractions. You you know, I one of the things I like to do was if I saw the aliens on the tracker out in the open, I liked to move the APC around just to kill it. Yeah, because it would open fire on on route, which was which was satisfying. So yeah, that that was really cool. As much as I liked the ARC, I was always kind of a bit like, yeah, but I missed the APC. Yeah, but I missed the APC. I've, yeah, I've never too. I've never got to use the APC um, in a game like this before. And then when you unlocked one, I was like, yes, I love this. Mm-hmm. Especially because that map when you're introduced to it was so difficult as well. Anyway, it was. It was one of those small victory moments that kind of made because it was so difficult getting to the APC. When you got to it, first I was a little bit. It was the same reaction I had to what Adam was talking about earlier, where it triggered one of the cutscenes and all your your stuff was left behind. I thought it was going to be like one of those moments because I was like, "For fuck's sake, do you know how hard it was for me to get here?" But then it lets you redeploy to that same area anyway. So it was, I was like, oh, thank God for that. I was fearful it would just be a cameo. You were coming across it and then they're like, well, move on. Oh, from it's here. broken. We can't so use ready. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought too. I was genuinely surprised when they like, okay, we're switching to the APC now from the movie and now you can use five Marines. But okay. the ARC was cool is that its design was based on the older Ron Cop designs for aliens that were uh-huh. kind of before it was finalized. So to see that incorporated into lore was really cool as well. I, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, I recognize this. It's got to have been in the RPG somewhere. Um, but then when you're somebody, I think it was like the um, Starshipper Twitter account had posted the original artwork. I was like, ah, that's where it's from. So it was great because it was 
I love it when games or EU revisit those disused elements and stuff like that and bring it into it because it it always has that vibe of feeling part of the universe anyway. Chris mentioned earlier, speaking of vibes that fit in the universe, the music in this game was brilliant. I especially liked when it snuck in bits of Alien 3, when it snuck in bits of Agnes mm-hmm. Agnes D, die. I forget how to pronounce it. You know, Lamb of God, her, yeah. the Alien 3 opening track. It was this brilliant amalgamation of, in the same way, you know, like Kevin Reeple. Uh, Reeple's was in, in Colonial Marines. There's familiar motifs, there's familiar movements, but it doesn't feel like a ripoff. It, it doesn't feel like a best of compilation in the same way that sometimes AVP Requiem soundtrack could at times. It just felt familiar and fitting, but still no, somehow. It was who did the soundtrack for this? Uh, let me see if I can find out one moment. I remember the first time you deploy your Marines, you got the little drums, which just took you straight back to, are there any Marines? Where the drums played, it's like, oh my God, it's so cool. <laughs> I love the music in this game. So I believe it is Nicola Nikita, if I am correct. If that's... Okay, no, it's a, it's a joint thing. Nicola Nikita Jeremic, sorry if that pronunciation is bad, and Doyle Donahue, I believe. I'll have to double check the credits in the game on that. But awesome music, guys. So thank you. Also, I will say there was just a huge concept art dump on ArtStation. So a ton of art for this game was was released. And there's some great concept art. I mean, the game uses some of this concept art for the loading screens. And it just made me want another art book. Like we got one for Alien Isolation. But yeah, the, the concept art for this game was really solid and just as, as something to explore after finishing this game. That's been really cool to see as well. Indeed, but I don't feel like we're going to get that treatment because I also felt like this would have been a good opportunity for a novel. You know, we got a fucking shitty novel for it fighting. It was a sh- <laughs> <laughs> You know, I wasn't. Bad. I was not a fan of that one. It was middle ground. It wasn't offensively bad like Colony War, but it was See, also meh. This is what I was going to bring up about uh, when we were talking about the cultists. This is what I was kind of scared. When I first saw the trailer and I saw the alien kind of like just nudging past the cultist, I was like, oh God, is this isn't going to be another, like the French scientist where he's going around singing Frere Jacques. <laughs> I was like, please tell me it's not going to be like that. But it was so much more interesting. Like I will all my hand up. I was wrong. It, it was actually pretty well implemented, I thought. Hmm. Yeah, see, I think they could do um, like a pre-crawl novel type thing. I think if they tried to do a novel adaptation of a game, not sure it'd work because, as you say, you can customise the Marine team themselves too much. There's lots of room for lots of room in this world that they've built for the prequel story. Yeah, seeing how the cult got started or something. I think novelizing Dark Descent would suffer from the alien isolation treatment where you're missing... Yeah. Those personal experiences that make the game. That's only if the, you uh, hire an author that doesn't play the fucking game. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, well, see, here's the interesting thing. Like, um, I mean, I learned last night that the authors that write the um, Warhammer novel, apparently they actually, they come up with a story, but then they actually role play out with dice certain situations. And then however those situations turn out, they'll write it as part of the story. So there's a weird element of literal chaos coming into the stories. It would be interesting if somebody did that, but they would only be able to base it on however they played their game through. So well, is that, is that not possible. an RPG? Is that not called the yeah, RPG? 
Yeah, but what I'm saying is, and I know what you're saying, their adventures into the story. The problem would be what, like, what if they had a really boring run through? Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would much rather a prequel, and I'm kind of disappointed Titan didn't do anything for this. They still could. They still could. They've not been doing much at all, anyway. Well, after last year, I, I kind of can't blame them. But that was more to my point of Adam asking for an art book of Titan hasn't really done anything, so it feels like you know we wouldn't get that. But then again, you know, Isolation was a AAA title, whereas the focus stuff hasn't been. See, this is what I find really interesting. Although this wasn't, it has the same. You can clearly see it has the same level of detail and passion that the Creative mm, Assembly yeah. team did. Because one of the biggest things about Isolation was it looked lived in. It felt lived in. Mm-hmm. It was very atmospheric. And this is very much the same. Like, yeah. It just looks cluttered, lived in, very atmospheric. I was disappointed I not to find any half-eaten donut. I was looking for that. There probably is one somewhere, you know. I bet there is. That was a Colonial Marines thing, though. That wasn't an Isolation thing. No, but in this game, I was looking for it as... So many offices, New Hampshire, no donuts. Yeah, fair enough. I thought the um, I played the game with a controller for my first time last night just to see how well it it ran because I played the whole thing on PC with keyboard and mouse. But on a controller, it's fine. Didn't have any issue. But it just feels like I can manage things quicker in this type of game with with keyboard and mouse. I know some people when that first trailer came out and they showed snippets of gameplay at the end. Some Alien fans were worried that it was top-down isometric, and they were like, oh, this isn't going to be a survival horror game, like isolation. But again, I just feel like regardless of that perspective, it really nailed the atmosphere, and I loved how the atmosphere shifted between if you were mm-hmm. zooming into an interior environment, the transitions between those, the noises you would hear in, in the insides of buildings and ships, as well as the the ambient noises on the outside. And it all just built a really foreboding and dynamic atmosphere that i just loved so again like this game i hope we get more dlc like we talked about an idea with uh when we discussed with the writer tebow about show us the the mercenary side of things show us like their home base if we played as the way you mercenaries so that might be kind of cool but yeah some plot threads are left hanging with cassandra at the end you wonder what they're gonna go off and do there but we don't know why she's important no, Other not really. Stuff. It doesn't, doesn't handle that at all. But yeah, I had, uh, we can start to wrap up now. Uh, yeah, I had such a good experience with the game that those loose threads weren't so much frustrating as, yes, please give me more. Let's let's revisit this mechanic, this this feel, this style of game and revisit this narrative. Let's keep going. I really hope, really hope that there is some future content planned for this, whether it's a, a full-on sequel, whether it's just more DLC, whatever. I don't care. Just give me more. And the game has done, has had a really good uh, reception. You know, it's hovering on Metacritic around about the same sort of critical reaction that Isolation had. Not quite, as in we're talking point, you know, what is it? It's 78, I think, was where the PC sat for Isolation and 75 is where it's it's sitting for Dark December, you know, for it to be so close critically to isolation is great. And, you know, it, it goes to show how good the game is. And this is with it being buggy. This is with there being unstable elements to it. Just imagine yeah. it should do a lot better when, when they've polished them. Yeah, it needs polishing before DLC and that. But I could yeah. easily see alien-centric DLC, be it even doing from the, if you're doing a prequel, do the cult and you can control the aliens. I could totally see these mechanics being adapted for that side. 
you wouldn't need to do much. And that would give you a completely different take on the same basic stuff. There's a lot they can do with this. One other thing I think it's worth pointing out, I did mention when we were doing the preview videos that it was an interesting idea they came up with instead of micromanaging. And anyone who isn't aware of this, if you're on PC, do the tab button. It will let you select which Marine does what. The game doesn't tell you this, but it does have the game select which Marine does what automatically. I said I was really hoping that would be a game changer. It would eliminate micromanagement, and it has. That's one of the best things about this game. It's shown that you don't have to get bogged down in micromanagement. If they didn't include that, this, I think, could have been a much more frustrating experience. I think that has been a really cool inclusion, having the AI figure out who does what. doesn't always do it right, but as I said, you can dictate by the tab button. One more thing we haven't mentioned in regards to the stealth mechanic as well is like the detection meter of the aliens. And that kind of, I think, enhanced some of the tension because you would have this line of sight where an alien would see you and based on how close or far to you, it would take longer to get to you. And so eventually you'll... And some of the upgrades as well. Yeah. And it, with some of the Xenotech upgrades, it'll take them longer to to spot you. But you can get a sniper with a silencer and just like pop aliens left and right as you're creeping through the hallways. And and once you kind of got into that whole stealth thing, I think it was a really interesting gameplay dynamic that we hadn't really seen much before. Like we had seen stealth in isolation of just trying to avoid it, but stealth and actually taking them out was was pretty cool. Do, do you want to also do your wrap up thoughts as well, Adam? Yeah, I mean, just overall, I, I really enjoyed the game. I agree that there could be a bit more there in terms of replayability, whether that's New Game Plus or like a wave survival mode or future campaign DLC. I'm sure the bugs will get ironed out. You know, I have no worries about that. They're not too out of control at this point, I think. Just some things to patch up. But overall, I think this is a really solid entry in the Alien universe. I think just like Isolation, we're going to be talking about this one for for years to come. And please get rid of the make the death clock optional, please. I think they said they were going to do that. Yeah, they, were, yeah. they were looking into it. I really hope they do. Yeah, that's not something we uh, have brought up is after mission five. Yeah, you got a bit of a death clock before you are uh, nuked out of existence. So is that, have you seen the bad ending? Because I don't think we've any, is there uh, a bad ending if the death clock runs out? Yes, so. there's two different endings. You can get the Otago oh, okay. that just gets nuked apparently. That's what I've read. Oh, anyway. interesting. Yeah. I need to find a video that I haven't seen it. So I think my thoughts quite mirror Adams. I really enjoyed this game. There's very little I disliked about it, to be honest. And to say that after 38 hours of playing, I still like more. It's kind of what you want, right? So yeah, more DLC, whatever. I'm looking forward to a, my nightmare playthrough. Although I will be unchecking that they can't hear them scream thing this time that I accidentally did. Because uh, as Aaron will attest, there was a, a bit on the mines where I'm going, it keeps sending me back to like 30 minutes before. And I keep dying near the elevator. He's like, no, it resets you to the elevator. <laughs> if you don't realize you've checked that by accident, you're in for a really different experience because it's basically soft Iron Man mode because at least it just let you reload the last save that you did. But actually, I, I quite enjoyed that part as a playthrough. I do think they need to do something with the Praetorian. I thought the Praetorian was quite disappointing. It wasn't dangerous at all to me. I don't think it ever even got close to Crusher. I was running away from that thing all the time. But the Praetorian, which is like, oh, if it ever gets up to you, like, it'll one-hit kill Marines. Never got near me. I thought the Praetorian was quite disappointing. In fact, it never even got the opportunity to call in reinforcements, which was apparently its big, big thing. But now, 
again, like I said at the beginning, I love the music. I love the atmosphere. I love the gameplay. I just want more, please. I think uh, well done, Tindalos and Focus Interactive. You've 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 given me something I didn't know I wanted, and I now want more. Sounds fair. I echo those sentiments. Uh, congratulations on the game, Tindalos. Congratulations on the game focus. I'm glad it's doing well critically. It's also doing well in terms of fandom. You know, user scores 7.7 and 8 on Metacritic as well. Response from what I've seen has, has been pretty damn positive. Adam, why don't you take it away for the hoary ending, please? <laughs> so you can always find us on our website, avpgalaxy.net. And we're on all the major socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and now threads. So we'll see how that last one goes. By the time this launches, we will probably have our Patreon up and running. So if you do want to support what we do here, we very much appreciate you considering that and checking it out. If you'd like to follow me personally, it's just at Ridgetop21 on both Twitter and Instagram. How about you, Hicks? You can find me on Twitter at underscore Corporal Hicks. I'm found on um, doing similar stuff to this, but more about generically cinema and stuff. With Some of you might remember Voodoo Magic. We're on Beer and the Brandy. So if you look that on uh, YouTube, I'm there. And Chris isn't on any socials anymore, right? Not really. No. <laughs> no, that's fair. And uh, again, if you haven't already, go back and check out the last episode with our, I think it's about two and a half hours before editing um, podcast with Tebow for a big deep dive into um, some of the creative elements of Alien Stark Descent. And of course, we also have our big retrospective roundtable interview with developers who worked on AVP Extinction that would have dropped at the end of July, which was another big one. I think that was about two hours in the end. Go and give that one a listen if you haven't already, because that was a very different time of video game development than this game was made in, and it's an interesting to contrast between the two. Very similar games as well in terms of uh, squad management. Also very different games in terms of uh, everything else. Uh, but that was a really fun interview to record, which I know Adam's going to also mention in a minute because he's unmuted his mic. Yeah, that was one of, probably one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. So definitely recommend checking that one out. Cool. Well, this has been Corporal Hicks. Bridgetop. Xenomorphine. Russ, and just to give you a little quote, I'm not a synth, but I doubt you're human either. Oh, you know what? That was a fucking good exchange. That was a really cool moment in that game. I'm going to go back and start a new play in a bit, I think. I just... (laughs) Well done. Thank you, everybody, for listening or watching. Signing off.